We're discussing the latest horror from the twisted mind of James Wan, malignant today on Script to Screen. Kenyatta, Mark, Derek, and I delve into the psychological thriller story that may have quite a shift in store for its audience. Warning, full spoilers ahead. Remember, you can join the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com and RSVP for an online screenwriters forum. Peer-reviewing scripts, giving feedback on fellow writers, work on networking with them as well. Please check out the links on our anchor.fm profile to follow us online. We hope you can log in with us at one of these versions virtual forums. Until then, enjoy the podcast. Apologies for some background noise as well. So as always, I like to give a warm welcome to screenwriters, aspiring writers, film lovers, and everyone in between to the latest episode of Script to Screen, the Boston Screenwriters Group podcast, hosted by myself, Jeffrey Chang-Stewart, Kenyatta Hoskins, Derek Miller, and Mark Liddell, where we come in and discuss and give screenwriter, filmmaker, and film lovers perspectives on movies and various other forms of media-related topics. Whenever you're giving us a listen, morning, noon, or night, we hope to be a great part of your listening cues. We know the world is... Uh, a little on the off-kilter side at the moment, but we hope to be a part of good stuff in your day with these in-depth discussions on film, TV, streaming, and other things we love to talk about. I'll start with the intros. I've been a co-organizer of the Boston Screenwriters Group for over five years, helping out the founder, Deborah Sharif, with the meetups, where we help any level of experienced screenwriter peer review the screenplays with other members. I'm also a local filmmaker on the lower end of budgets, but I'm always up with coming up with movie ideas and ready to film. Now, with all that settled, I'll gladly pass it off to my co-organizer and friend, Kenyatta. I, for the first time listeners, I'm Kenyatta Hoskins. I am a co-organizer of the Boston Screenwriters Group for uh, over, a little over three years. I've been a member for five years. And I'm just going to keep it short and uh, uh, say welcome and just pass on to the next person. I'm Mark Lydell, longtime Boston educator uh, and lover of films. Um, also involved in a small uh, scale uh, with repertory theater in Michigan, as well as film um, production in Michigan uh, many, many moons ago, but I've still uh, maintained my love of movies. This is why I'm here uh, to talk about films because I love it so much. Hello, I'm Derek Miller, um, local film uh, filmmaker, screenwriter, actor when you need one. Um, Lover of films also, lover of music. Oh, yeah, uh, just a lover of everything that deals with filming. Oh, man. Excellent, excellent. So it's been well over a month, a month, pretty much a month and a half since we all got together to talk about something. And uh, I think uh, this movie that we came, that we saw together, that, that we all saw is certainly something to talk about. Uh, it's the latest from James Wan, uh, filmmaker, Saw filmmaker, and... Um, uh, Aqu- well, also, and Aquaman uh, as well. So there's a range for you. But uh, uh, Malignant, uh, latest, it uh, came to theaters and HBO Max due to the Warner Brothers deal uh, with uh, same day theatrical and streaming. And it's um, well, let's let, let's go into at least the first uh, little uh, first two act synopsis. It uh, stars uh, Madison. A, um, uh, a, a sort of uh, a, a woman living uh, with her uh, abusive uh, husband. And uh, after an incident, uh, things start to go pretty strange in the household. Um, there are shadows and uh, uh, weird visions that she starts to have of uh, murders that are taking place. And there's there may be a connection with uh, what's going on. There may not be, but... Uh, I think uh, we'll talk about the third act. Maybe uh, uh, the, we'll, oh, we'll definitely talk about the third act. So spoilers, of course, uh, as always. But uh, 
Uh, I just I th think that's that's a good place to start with sort of getting our sort of initial uh, reads, our initial thoughts on the on the movie. I'm very curious to hear everyone's uh, everyone's takes and everyone's responses to this particular uh, particular little movie. Well, I'll say you know, as usual, I, I do my best to avoid trailers. Um, got wind that this movie is coming out. That James Wan was, you know, involved with it, and I said, "Okay, uh, let me see this." Um, wasn't sure whether I was going to hit the theaters to see it or see it at home. I ended up seeing it at home on um, HBO Max, um, mainly because I I checked the aggregate kind of scores for it, um, and I said, "Yeah, not good enough for me to go to the theater." But um, walking into or approaching a James Wan horror movie means a number of things for me. It means one, he's going to try to make the most out of a small budget. That's what he's done historically. And that's how he got his, his beginning. And he's still done a great job of, of turning a profit on, on these films. So he won't necessarily have big name actors in them. And he also um, uh, will try to find ways to seemingly uh, make a good movie while cutting corners um, compared to the big budget movies. So, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I was surprised at what I saw. Again, I'm trying to avoid uh, spoiling anything about this movie, but the first thing that that, that struck me um, as kind of curious was the music. And I've looked up the name of the person responsible for music. His name is Joseph Bashara. And apparently he's done music for a number of James Wan uh, horror movies. But there's a moment in the early going of this movie where Madison comes home from the hospital and she's in the car with her buddy, her sister, I guess. Um, and the music that's playing in the car does not in any way, shape or form match up in my mind with what's happening on the screen. Uh, it's music that, that is incredibly um, suspenseful in a moment that should have been, okay, the suspense happened earlier in the, the, the day or the night or whatever. She's coming home now to kind of reset. And it's not reset music. I found that to be really, really odd. And I thought that happened throughout the movie. There were times when the music kind of betrayed what was happening on the screen. And I was surprised to find that this person worked on a number of movies. It wasn't his first time because I think they did a poor job of using music to set things up um, in the film. Uh, it didn't hit the, the kind of beats I would expect in terms of how music should be used in a movie. Um, that's That's the first thing that I took from this film. That and... Um, something weird is going on with this lady. Um, she looks odd. <laughs> the Madison, that is. I won't, that's all I'm going to say for now. I'm going to spoil anything else. Um, I did see it when it, the first day came out. And um, I'm going to watch again with that in mind, Mark. Because not, that's not the first time I've heard that. But for some reason, the first time I saw it, I really didn't notice it. So now I'm going to be looking um, at that the next time I see it. And um, I just want to throw out there, too, that mainly, I, you know, I, I was excited to see it because James Bond, I liked The Conjuring. I liked Insidious, the first one. I don't know about the second one. I didn't like that, those as much. Aquaman, he did uh, Fast and Furious Part 7. So I like some of his, I like a lot of his work. And, and there's another film that um, I really like was death, death Sentence. So um, so just on the strength of his name being attached as a director 
close enough for me to want to see it. I did see the previews, and that's the thing. And um, that we could kind of talk about that, where you have you market a film a certain way. Like for example, they you know they have you thinking, okay, if you like Conjuring, you like Insidious, you'll like this film. But this film is nothing like Conjuring or not in the vein of Insidious. I think that was a mistake. And sometimes when you go into a film with certain expectations and if it's not congruent with the expectations, that could kind of um, compromise, you know, how you take in the film, you know? So you end up not enjoying that experience. This kind of reminds me of The Village. The Village was market a certain way but when you see it it doesn't meet the expectations that causes a lot a lot of disappointment in the film uh, you know uh, opposed to if you market it correctly you probably would enjoy the film a lot more if it was uh if you didn't go in with certain expectations so kind of like what mark says he likes going there going in without seeing the uh the previews and I, I think that's part of it like not seeing the marketing you know what I mean so um, sometimes I think that the, um, the studios and the executive in the studios they I think they're out of touch man because um, to them you know it's of course it's about making money as well and that's the only thing about it from that standpoint so that's like oh Congress made this my money and see made this kind of money so let's you know, let's market it as such so we can get all those people who saw those films to come in here and see this film because we're guessing, you know, they want to tap into that um, that market. But unfortunately, it's not like those films. It's pretty much, it's campy. It's campy, and I kind of compare it to Friday the 13th Part 6. It's well aware of itself. It's purposely being campy, and it's just about being, you know, having fun watching the film. Kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, The Dream Warriors. It's kind of like Basket Case. When I, I think that came on the seventies. It's like it knows it's campy, whatever. Because like I went in expecting to see a serious film, kind of like The Conjuring. They, they, they weren't being campy at all. They were being serious. They, they took it so serious. So so was Insidious. So that's what I have to say about that. I pass it to somebody else. Yeah, I didn't see the trailer either, so I didn't know what to expect. When I didn't see the trailer, because I didn't go out and look for it. I just think, like, um, basically, just because we haven't been to the movies in a while or in a long time, like, it's not the same watching a trailer on your phone versus watching it in the theaters when you go in there, because that's, like, the best part. That's, like, the best experience of going into the theaters and watching the movies, just looking for the trailers. Like, I show up 30 minutes early just so I can get a good seat and watch the trailers. But yeah, uh, anyways, yeah, as far as James Wan goes, I didn't like The Conjuring at all. Um, was never a huge fan of it. I watched it one time in theaters when it first came out, and I was just like, nope. I'm not a huge fan of PG-13 horror movies just because like, I like my blood and I like my gore and I like people when they die. Sorry. Um, but yeah, as Mark was saying, yeah, I totally agree with him. Uh, yeah, the music was like the best part of the movie to me. Um, it was weird how how it was playing in certain parts in the movie where it shouldn't have been playing, but at the same time, I thought it was pretty cool. I think what made it weirder is just, like, the time setting. Like, it starts off, I think, in the, um, 
I think the beginning starts off in the 80s. So like throughout the whole entire time I watch this movie, the music kind of has like a um 80s atmosphere to it. Um and just like what King Gata was saying, like it kind of had that Friday, not Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street um part three kind of theme to it. And I totally agree with that. Like the whole entire time I was watching it, I kind of felt that vibe as well, just because that's also like one of my favorite movies. So, like, I, I saw that, and I was like, yeah, this reminds me totally of that, just because of such and such. But, um, yeah, I would say this is probably my my favorite James Wan movie ever made. Like, I I mean, I haven't seen them all. I love the Saw movies. love those to death. But, like, I totally think this was, like, just the best one. Um, My only thing was I thought it was just where, like, I wish it kind of would have took place in the... um early 90s just be, not even early 90s early 90s late 90s just because of certain things that were going on within the movie but it's just kind of like as you're watching it you're just kind of like okay this is kind of impossible for this to happen but like i feel like i will explain on that later as we discuss the film yeah certainly so um so yeah i've uh so james wan is uh uh He's not my favorite uh, horror director. He's you know, not one of my favorite filmmakers. Going, I have liked uh, several of his uh, several of his works. Um, probably The Conjuring is pr- actually probably my favorite uh, because it's just a good old fashioned horror movie uh, using just uh, classic techniques of uh, uh, of both uh, uh, shadows and uh, darkness and uh, sound design in order to really like uh, play up the scares and uh, the te- the tension. Um, so it's a, like a nice homage to those old fifties, uh, haunted house movies, like the haunting or, uh, the innocence, uh, uh, something like that in those lines. But, um, with this latest one, uh, and I'm glad, uh, Kenyatta brought it up, uh, both, oh, actually everyone, uh, I think mentioned it, uh, sort of the marketing for this was just sort of conjuring, you know, conjuring five or how, how whatever on one they're on, you know, I, um, it was just, you know, the haunted house, there's the, the woman who's experiencing strange stuff and, uh, there's, there's maybe ghosts, there's maybe not, there's maybe demons involved or something like that. And, uh, that's for the first, uh, good, uh, two acts of the movie. And then, uh, the uh, third act happens and, uh, and wow, uh, it uh, threw me for a loop and, but in the best ways possible. Um, I don't know, uh, I, uh, I'm actually curious before we go into sort of a third act, because uh, really you can't really talk about the movie without talking about the third act. I mean, that's our, our, how it ends up because that's, that's going to make or break this for you. Um, so I'm actually curious uh, if everyone would actually recommend seeing the movie, whether on HBO max, if they have an account or venturing out to theaters, if it's safe for them. I'm actually curious to get, see here if uh, everyone else, what other people would recommend seeing it before we get into uh, huge spoilers. Well, I, you know, I would not recommend going to the theater and seeing this movie. I saw it again at home on, on HBO max. I think that's the perfect situation uh number one because of safety number two because i think while the concept of the movie was original i love original concepts um i think that there were a number of uh james wanisms or tropes that that happened throughout this movie it's almost like you can you can pencil in you can um count on a scene where uh, there's something that's being seen in the corner of a room and the light turns on and all of a sudden it's gone um, that's uh, James Wanism happens like in every single uh, film. Um, 
I think that, you know, love the idea, the premise. I think there's some issues with execution. And I'm happy that the, the third act um, did occur the way that it did. But it also, once that happened, left a bunch of holes that had to be filled that just were not filled. So for those reasons, I think you can watch it at home. If you have HBO Max, watch it for free. Don't, don't shell out some money for popcorn and drinks and a ticket. Yeah, I also would say watch at home. I would have been mad if I saw this in the movie theater, to be honest. And um, in terms of that third act, it kind of reminds me of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where you know a lot of people act like they, they, they said they didn't like that film until that last act. They loved that last act. So this is pretty much you know same situation here, where like you didn't like the first two acts and then that third act kind of like you have a satisfying payoff. But it turned into a, to me, it turned into a completely different film as well. And one of the things I, I liked about the film that you don't get a lot where you kind of, um, you don't know what's going on because they don't tell you everything. About time you get to the end, it's like everything that, probably didn't make sense to you or you were like had questions about it's answered and um, a lot of films don't do that uh, there's a couple of films I saw and I was getting very frustrated because I was so used to like you know um, seeing films where you know exactly everything that's going on so on and so forth and we talked about this before where people are tired of all these sequels and they want to see something different. And I remember saying that, you know, if you want to see something different, there's, you know, kind of like, a, a, there's something going along with that. Because you're going to get a lot of movies where like, you're going to get a lot of movies where you just didn't like it. But, but that's because, um, you know, you, it's like we can't complain that we get the same old, same old all the time. We get something different. Yeah, you may like you, you may love it, you know, but that's the same thing. If you keep getting sequels, you're not, you know, it's going to be a chance you don't like that either because you don't seen that before. But if you want something different, that's kind of like the, the uh, sacrifice that you make that, you know, because this is this film is just so different, man. Um, you know, but at the same time, I mean, there are some similarities with other stuff. You could see that um, he paid homage, like I said, like Basket Case. I don't know if anybody's seen Basket Case before. And also, too, if you play video games, there's a video game called Soul Calibur. I am willing, I, I want so bad to find out if the person who wrote this film um, played Soul Calibur and thought of that there was a character in that, in that video game that reminds me so much of that third act. So I'm, I'm so curious to find out if they use that as a kind of, uh, you know, uh, reference and, and, you know, idea to, to create this, that character. So, yep. Next person. Yeah, I would totally say go see this in theaters just for the experience alone. Like I thought the soundtrack, the sound effects and stuff, um, I watched it in my car. I don't have surround sound at home, but I watched it in my car. And then, like, it was, like, it was just an epic experience just sitting there watching it on my phone, just hearing all the sounds just vibrating around me. Um, 
as far as the third act goes. Yeah, no, it kind of made me think of another Tarantino film. It kind of had like a Kill Bill vibe towards the end. Like it was totally a different film. Um, it was like certain parts of it, like how they set it up to be that way was kind of weird to me. But at the same time, it, I felt like getting made up for most of the film. I liked the way it was. I liked the way it was written just because I like watching horror movies that have a like, um, like it has like, that has like a little bit of a mystery to it. Like you're trying to figure out what exactly was going on. You're like guesstimating what happened, and like you're just trying to figure. Like you're trying to put everything together, trying to figure out, okay, who's this person? Why is this person there? And like, like King Yada said, it all just starts coming towards coming together towards the end. You're just like, oh. But at the same time, you're also trying to sit there and predict. Well, with me, I do this all the time with horror movies. I try to predict what's going to happen. I couldn't do it this time, but like I was trying to trying to understand exactly how everyone was related. But um, yeah, I would say definitely go see it in theaters versus watching it at home just because I don't know, like if you do have a surround sound system and like you're, like it's just the best at home, then totally watch it at home. But if not, go to the theaters just for the experience. I feel like that's like the best part of going to the theaters. Like you don't go and see a bad movie. You go and see a good movie. Sometimes you end up unlucky to see a bad movie. But like, I don't know. I, I'd say go to the movies to see it. I thought it was a great movie. Yeah, so I also went to... Uh... Uh, theater to see this uh, sort of in uh, I used the perfect conditions it was uh, the nine o'clock show late at night um, and maybe there were three other teenagers way in the back uh, so we were socially distanced and everything uh, but uh, I think that is sort of a very good way to see this kind of movie uh, of course again uh, only if it's safe for you uh, and there the theaters following proper protocols in terms of uh, COVID protection and everything but uh, I think it's interesting that uh, both Derek and I are sort of uh, more, much more on board of this movie and we saw it in the theater um, because I think that, uh, you know, it's not to, not to go say the, it's, uh, there's a huge difference between the two, but I think with something with a movie like this, like uh, seeing it with a, in a, just, projected on a huge on the wall in a, in, a, uh, in a darkened room with maybe a few other people I think is it, it enhances the experience because uh, when that third act, well, I mean, when that third act uh, kicks in uh, it kicks in so well that um, uh, that I just had it's almost it's worth the price of admission just for the last uh, just just for the sequences at the end uh, which are uh, so well, so well done. But uh, again, uh, this, again, we'll, as we have kept saying, this is a movie best seen cold without you seeing much more beyond the tra- misleading trailers. But uh, again, uh, so, but we will, I guess now we'll just go right into the, the third act because, uh, and the, 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 the twist uh, that, uh, that happens because uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's no other way to sort of, uh, uh, to get around it uh but uh so spoilers in three two one so actually the the twist is set up in the beginning with the prologue sort of in uh, 1990 it says 1993 there's this uh uh you know uh, this this sort of um 
mental hospital that that's straight out of like a, a Bram Stoker novel or a, a Stephen King a, a story. Uh, it's perched on the cliffside with uh, lightning and during a storm. And uh, there's all these doctors that are uh, going around and they're, uh, they're, they're worried about a certain patient. Uh, they're worried about a certain patient that's going on. And uh, I think they, uh, they, they say Gabriel, uh, Gabriel's out and uh, they need to cut the cancer. And that's, that's the line that follows throughout the, uh, throughout the movie. And that's the main sort of, uh, the main sort of motif is cutting out the cancer of this. And then you're not quite sure what it is, but then um, uh, you're kind of wondering how the prologue sort of fits in with the rest of what's going on. Because again, uh, the first two acts or so are about this, are about Madison uh, sort of just uh, coping with um, these visions that she's having of murders that are taking place. And uh, um, starting with her, uh, starting with her awful husband, uh, that, uh, as soon as, as soon as this guy pops on screen, you, you're, you're just, uh, you can set the timer to when he's going to get off uh, because he's so unbelievably over the top awful that he's just going to be, he's either going to be the first victim or he's uh, going to leave in some uh, uh, unceremonious way, and uh, that's what happens. But uh, other people start getting off in uh, in a fairly gruesome ways, and uh, she she sees him. Uh, she sees all the visions happen, and then you're wondering like uh, what kind of connection she has to the killer. Uh, and the sort of the cops, uh, they're trying to figure out uh, piece together the mystery, and then uh, they bring her into the they bring her into this holding cell with uh, other. Uh, female uh, sort of uh, prisoners and uh, Gabriel comes out. Gabriel uh, makes his apparent, uh, a proper appearance uh, sort of full on. And it's a conjoined twin uh, that is, that sort of um, manifested in the, uh, the womb when uh, Madison was being born. And uh, you, you see the, uh, the archival footage of uh of this mass, you know, uh, you know, if uh, anyone's a, has seen Total Recall, sort of Quado has uh, been latched onto the back of her for years until uh, they cut the cancer out. They cut off the, the uh, Gabriel's limbs and uh, push him back into the the skull of uh, Madison, and she's been living with uh, keeping him down for all these years until uh, uh, she hits she hits her head on the wall, and that sort of. Uh, gives Gabriel the means to sort of uh, start uh, manifesting and man, <laughs> the, I get the, the, this twist will make or break you because yeah, it changes the movie very, it takes it in a completely different direction. Uh, basically it turns into, yeah, I think uh, some people have been alluding to it in action comedy, like a Tarantino uh, third act uh, between what happens in the, the prison cell with her taking on all the other uh, inmates and then uh, out in the police station, which is uh, there's this um, great choreographed sort of uh, almost breakdance uh, sort of uh, fight scene that, uh, and she unleashes just, uh, or, or should say Gabriel uh, unleashes just uh, hell on earth in this uh, in this little police station, uh, taking out uh, both uh, uh, both uh, prisoners and uh, police uh, uh, equally, and. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I guess since we're, yeah, I guess, uh, I kind of got a little bit of uh, people's thoughts on, uh, on the third act, but, uh, how did the, uh, how did that twist, uh, sort of, uh, 
sort of uh, how did people other people handle the the twist? What well, happens? Well, in yeah. Before I answer, that, I just want to throw out there too that, um, like I was saying earlier about there are things that seem not to make sense until like you know once they start answering questions at the end, then everything kind of comes together, right? And um, I tried to watch it again before this. We start, you know, before we start this call, and I got half, you know, half hour into it, and um, there was a line. She said, um, "Maybe it's all in my head," and it's like, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying it's like you won't laugh at that the first time you see it, but after like you've seen it, and then you just watch it again, and then you kind of get like those little kind of. I guess you'll call them Easter eggs. You get what I'm saying? You don't see those Easter eggs because you don't you don't have all the information. So I I think like it, it's it's good. It would be good to try it out a second time around. But um, like I said, the third act um, was hilarious to me, and um, to me it, it was satisfying. I think it was even well done. Because it was like the way the movement of the character was—it was just so herky jerk. It just—it just looked. I, th I just think it was well done. It was well um, filmed. Um, it was—you know—it was very well uh, choreographed. Um, you know, it was just—it was a lot of fun to watch. And it's like, like I said, I'm going to movie expecting a horror film, but then you get to the third act. Then it's like, oh, here's this kind of like this cartoonish, campy uh, scene, but it was fun to watch. So there's no denying, you know, and it, you know that I got entertainment. I, you know, was no denying I was entertained by that, by that, you know, starting from the prison scene. Because I told my wife, I was like, wait a minute, isn't that that that, that girl from uh, Death Proof? So we're talking about Quentin Tarantino, how like it kind of. And here you have a you know somebody who's in Tarantino movies. He's actually in this the cell, and that's how it all kicked off. Was he in Death Proof? I didn't even recognize him. Yeah, the one, the blonde. I think she had like a mullet, and I was like, oh shit, that's 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 um. I'm trying to think of her name in Death Proof. That was the one. She was on the car. She was the one riding the, the hood. All she right. was in the prison. She was in the prison cell with them. Oh, okay, the yeah, yeah, woman. So. Here's my thing, you know, yes, the third act, obviously is revelatory, it's supposed to be the third act. Um, and it's fun to watch what happens there. It does take a turn into uh, like all out campiness. My only thing is this, and I, 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 everything we've seen up until that point suggests that this cannot be the case, right? If she's seeing this being, Gabriel, right? If she's observing, that she's in some cases um, trying to avoid this being and maybe even running from the being. I don't know. It, it's weird because if Gabriel is a part of her, then how can she then see, right? She's, is this an out-of-body experience? What's happening here? And I think that's part of the problem. I think if this movie had been um, shot from a number of perspectives. Like, um, there's a movie that came out a number of years ago, Vantage Point, where um, events occur 
um, and you see different characters' perception of the same event, that might work, right? If you, if you take this movie and chop it up into a few pieces and you've got um, Madison's view, you've got her sister's view, you know, and then maybe you have the, the Gabriel view or whatever, that might work. But as long as it's for the first two thirds of the movie, she's operating outside, you know, of her body, obviously, to see Gabriel in that way. It, it, it's it's kind of off-putting at the end. It's like, wait a second, that, that doesn't add up. Um, and I, maybe I'm just being um, too nitpicky, but that's no, that's a major thing. She's seeing this, right? So, and it's not, you know, the audience's perspective, it's her perspective. So that is a huge hole that, that's never filled. And in that sense, it's kind of unsatisfying because that that's, you just can't say, okay, this is the end of the movie without touching upon that huge plot hole. They actually do kind of sort of touch upon it. Um, when they're going back and looking at the videos, um, they're doing tests and um, they're basically flashing um, flashcards at um, Gabriel. And while Gabriel's looking at the flashcards, um, Madison's basically telling um, the doctors what she sees. So that's kind of like how to do it. And the doctor kind of explains it as like some type of psychosychosis or something like that. I don't know the exact word she used, but like they are able to see technically, I wouldn't say kind of sort of like a 360 type of thing. So yeah, I, I get, I can, I can understand maybe her being able to see what Gabriel can see, but she's seeing, she's seeing Gabriel. She's not seeing like what he sees. She's seeing him. Which is that, that? That's that's the problem. It's as if oh, like, that? yeah, it's like she looks outside her window early on in the movie. She sees the shadowy figure of Gabriel. Like, wait a second, this person's not even in the same building as her, right? I mean, so I can understand her seeing from through his eyes, maybe sharing part of the same brain, but I can't see her being able to have like a a bird's eye view and seeing Gabriel. I think the bird's eye view, and I like that part. I thought that was actually pretty cool how they did the whole bird's eye view through the house. But, um, yeah, no. Um, I don't know. I think sometimes that's just, like, the perspective view of, for the for the audience. But then, like, you do have the scenes where um, she does see flashes of Gabriel, and I feel like maybe that's her trying to find Gabriel. I don't know. I'm not trying to defend it or anything. I'm maybe just trying to... <laughs> think you know i'm trying to say maybe what's going on i have no idea myself either but like i maybe that's what's going on maybe she's just caught catching like little glimpses of him because she doesn't know exactly what's going on either but like she can see that shadowy figure just sitting at the corner of her eye i don't know that's how i think it's going on and it's only a criticism for me because i think there's a clever way you could probably do this right there's probably some way you can make it happen uh, with better writing or even, you know, again, different perspectives in the movie that they just don't do. Yeah, no, that is possible. Yeah, there was, like, certain things that also bothered me about the movie just because, like, I'm trying to figure out where, what exactly is the time frame. And you see, like, after it's been 20 years or whatever, I want to say it's 20, maybe 30, I don't recall. Like, I can't remember what year the movie started. Like, did it start at, like, you see her get adopted, like, I think in 1994, so, like, it's now 2020, 2021. Where the hell did they get a VCR from? That's what bothered me. Because I'm like, who who still has a VCR? Who still has a box set TV? Like, how how, does, how do those things still exist? Like, you got these videotapes, and I'm just like, wait, what? I mean, but yeah. I don't know. That 
it was that was that was me expecting just because like I don't know anyone that still has a VCR or a box set TV. But um yeah, no, I kind of thought that how that was cool, how they started like basically showing you everything that kind of like led up to that moment. Like this is all the stuff that's been going on. This explains everything. And you're just like, oh. And then she turns into John Wick. And that, that's part of the campiness of it. It's like sometimes it's like you get and it's met it's meant for the audience to give a pass to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's just some plot holes that will won't be filled like I, I i get completely what you're saying i agree totally even with the vcr thing as it's very hard 2021 to find a vcr i mean i do have one um you know but a lot of people don't so but i just figured that there's like a lot of old stuff in that attic so that's probably uh you know i don't know but it's, it's just just part of the campiness of it i give you an example I know I mentioned earlier Friday 13 part six. There was a scene where Jason threw somebody into a tree and that face hit it very hard and it left an imprint in a in the tree, but it wasn't other person's face, it was a smiley face. Now you know that's ridiculous and everything because we know it's camping with you know went into the campiness. We kind of laughed at that. We thought it was funny, entertaining, blah, blah, blah. You know, opposed to like, hey, that's impossible. You know, because if the movie, if the movie is more serious, I think I think that kind of, you know, um, what will stick out like a sore thumb. But because this film um, was meant to be taken, and you know, and it meant to be seen in in in, a, in a, um, a light of campiness, I I think if you go in like that, you enjoy it more than than you going in. Thinking, you know, it's a whole, you know, it's, it's meant to be taken seriously. No, oh, I, you know, so yeah, there's some definitely some inconsistencies with um, how the third act plays out and what we, we've been seen uh, shown previously. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I, I see Mark's point that uh, it's not just you see uh, Gabriel's perspective uh, when he's doing all these uh, grisly murders of uh, the former hospital uh, attendants and uh, doctors. Um, that wronged him, uh, quote unquote. But um, uh, I th- it, it, yeah, there's. I don't really have a, a good answer, uh, and I don't think the movie really cares to explain too much uh, at that point. Uh, but uh, I think sort of it, it, the the technique is sort of to make sure that um, there's sort of like a differentiation between. Um, uh, Madison and uh, this personality that's been manifesting in her, you know, since uh, the last, uh, you know, ever since birth. Um, and uh, it's to make sure that, uh, because, because I think, yeah, I think that would have been interesting if we had just seen Gabriel's uh, point of view the entire time without her also seeing it separately. Uh, but I think it's just, it's there to make sure that, uh, uh, that Madison's personality is distinguished from uh, Gabriel's. Uh, at least visually. Uh, so, but again, it's, I don't know if that's, that's the best answer, but uh, again, uh, when uh, the third act goes so, just, uh, so into like uh, craziness and, and insanity and, uh, you know, a conjoined twin, uh, you know, that's evil. Uh, 
I think uh, some things can be, at least in my, uh, at least my take is, uh, some things can be forgiven that uh, they wanted to hide the twist a little bit more uh, by cheating a little bit, if you will, uh, with the first, uh, with the first, uh, uh, again, with the first few acts of the, of the uh, film. So is that, I mean, this is where I have a bit of a hang up and it's like, is that laziness? Is it intentional misdirection? Is it, I mean, um, what what is it happening there? Because there's a certain, I think with most movies that have a kind of a mysterious element to it, there's also this idea that we're going to provide for you some hints or clues as to what's happening, and you're going to be involved in the process of kind of figuring this thing out throughout the whole thing. And if what you're doing is intentionally having a misdirection, that's it's beyond misdirection. That is, this can't happen, right? Given what we've seen, then that's kind of cheating. I think I'm, 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 I'm nitpicking. I know, but it's like that. It can't. It can't. It, that can't happen. And, and with a, a simple rewrite or a, a shift in how you kind of shoot it, it could all that could have been, you know, eliminated, and you still maintain the integrity of the film, right? I just think that that piece, for me. Um, and I, I can I can forgive the VCR. I can forgive like you know that that's much more believable than than someone being able to see themselves you know from <laughs> outside their body basically. But um, yeah, that's just I'll, I'll stop nitpicking on that one. <laughs> hey, to make, to make a long story short, it, it's cheating. That's all. That's all that is, uh, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> it, it is cheating, and uh, like I said, I know I keep throwing the word campy out there. And like when you when you go camp, it's like uh, you, you expect the audience to kind of forgive that that the cheating, so so to speak. But unless, like I said, unless this tone of the movie is serious, that's when um, you have to do a little bit rewriting, you know. But I think there was bad writing or bad directing in the one scene where. Um, I want to say his name was Shaw. Is he uh, Detective Shaw? I don't think he was a detective because he's an FBI agent. Or he might have been a detective, regardless of his um, officer status. Yeah, no, what bothered me is that when he finally confronts Gabriel um, in the second act, I guess, um, he's able to take him on one by one, one on one, and then chases after him. But, like, you get to the police station, and Gabriel's taking out all the cops. Like, he's getting shot at. He's dodging bullets. He's ducking and just doing everything he can to get away. And I'm just like, wait a second. Why didn't he do this in the second half when he met Detective Shaw? Like, was he just not powerful enough yet? I feel like that's when bad writing occurred. At least to me, it did. Well, isn't he, like, in the beginning? Like, when they're trying to lead you to believe this could be an apparition? Is he, like, invisible at one point? Is he, like, uh, on the couch? The light comes on, he disappears. Why couldn't he just disappear in those moments when the he's being apprehended, right? But, again, yeah. nitpicking. No, you're you're absolutely right. It's just like in the beginning, um, the forensics um, woman sat there and said that it sounds like he was fighting on the ceiling, and we're just like, oh, okay, maybe it is, like, a shadow type of ghost or something like that, come to find out. He's she's or he's really not, but like somehow he was able to walk across the ceiling and kill her husband. Yeah, again, uh, there's a lot of inconsistencies with uh, you know Gabriel's powers. Like he is, you know, especially in the first one, uh, first uh, first half of the movie. First again, first I keep on saying it, but uh, 
the first part of the story that, uh, yeah, he has the ability to teleport and he also apparently has the ability to uh, disrupt electricity also, which isn't really explained at all um, at times. But uh, again, I think it's it's just one of those, you, the, the filmmakers are asking you not to take this too seriously. And I think um, with, uh, with how awarding at least, uh, and again, it's, uh, how awarding you find the third act, I think, will dictate sort of how much you're forgiving of all these sort of things that uh, were supposedly set up in the uh, in the first uh, first few acts, but uh, probably changed a little bit with uh, with the twist. I mean, and also too, if you think about it, how how is he able to talk through the radio, and um, like how where did he learn? I don't know what style of fighting it is. Some kind of martial arts. It's like, where, where did that come from? It's like you were hidden inside this woman's body until she hit her head against the wall with the husband. You know, um, banged her head against the wall. It's like, where? It's like, did you go to martial arts school? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. But I mean, to me, to me, to be able to fight like that, you, I mean, it takes years and years. I would think, anyways. But he's had decades to prepare inside the body, mentally. He's been doing <laughs> 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 virtually, yeah, he was virtually. Just Splinter taught him inside the body. <laughs> right, right. He's learned kung fu virtually. Yeah. He learned uh, he learned the pop and lock technique, the break dance fighting. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what, that's what he's been training for all these years. Apparently, I think uh, as we've uh, as we've uh, uh, sort of uh, alluded to or uh, discussed, um, sort of uh, the camp factor uh, in this, uh, you know, it's it's completely up to you. It's completely up to any viewer how much you were um, sort of on board for that sort of stuff. But at the same time, uh, it's very hard to market uh, sort of uh, something that's intentionally camp, something that's intentionally sort of, uh, you know, uh, that, that's completely out of uh, left field and completely just trying to, completely trying to do, uh, to do something just, uh, just nuts and uh, uh, sort of, and yes, inconsistent with uh, sort of what was shown previously. But uh, I think there. Uh, and that's probably one reason why the trailers were very misleading. You know, we talked about uh, trailers that gave way too much information with uh, old, but here it's sort of um, uh, WB saying, "Yeah, we don't want, we don't know how to market this, uh, so we're just going to market it as in a you know conjuring, you know, five or six or what have you, you know, from the same director." Um, but again, yeah, it's uh, how much you have fun with the camp factor in this, uh, especially when the twist happens is uh, sort of very subjective. But uh, I appreciated it, at least uh, because um, uh, it, it's, it, up until then, I didn't know if this was going to be very, you know, self-serious James Wan filmmaking uh, with uh, sort of uh, the the conjuring sort of knockoffs that uh, he's produced and uh and wrote or if, is this going to be uh something different i did not predict that he would go uh, he would go in the direction that he did with it so i am appreciative on, on that level at least i mean despite its flaws i enjoyed the film very much um there was just certain things that i got to me like i like i'm curious about how it would look if the setting took place in another decade versus it taking place um in the present like, I, I, I want to know what it would look like if it was, like, made in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, or even 
the 80s itself with all the stuff that's going on, the lack of technology that they would have. Like, because he used, like, intercoms, um, cell phones, um, telephones in order to communicate. So, like, I think it would have been very, very cool just to see him in, like, the um, 90s calling up a rotary phone and just having, just basically freaking out people in the, um, just freaking out people in the movie just by calling them up and saying, blah, 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 I'm here to kill you and such. And then finally, he basically comes and kills them, just like in Scream, maybe. I don't know, maybe that's what they thought about doing at first, but then they changed it because it happened in Scream. But, um... I don't know. I would have liked to see um, what kind of approach it would take if it was like just took place in like the 90s, 2000s or whatever. Again, I, I had no clue as to what to expect from the movie. So um, when it makes a shift in tone, it was also shocking to me. Um, but again, that third act, I think I, I appreciated it. If I can put aside the hole, the big hole, I, I can say, yes, I appreciate the third act. Um, but for me, I'm always in the movie trying to figure out well, what's going on. And, and given the pieces they've given me, I'm going to put them together to solve whatever the mystery is. And I say, wait a second, you guys gave me some pieces that weren't in the puzzle. This is, that's, not, that's not in the puzzle. Um, I can say that I, I, I did appreciate uh, the first Conjuring movie, uh, appreciated Saw. And I think a lot of uh, Juan's other movies are kind of just derivative of those. They're all kind of pretty similar. And, and to some degree, again, there's some Juan-isms that, that occur in all the movies um, to the point that they're almost, you know, tropes. Um, again, I'd not seen the preview, but I went back after watching the movie and saw the preview and saw the, the piece where um, Gabriel's on the couch and the light comes on and now he's gone. So yeah, I've seen that a, a gazillion times in Juan movies and Juan imitators. It's like, can find something else to put there all that does is i guess have some misdirection around this being an apparition based or a demon movie when it's really not that so i guess for the purposes of marketing the movie they had it had to do something to throw people off because number one tough to market the movie number two if you give away too much you know it'll, it'll spoil the film so i could appreciate that piece um and by putting the james thing by james wan folks will think yep just another one with conjuring films so in that sense i think it maybe it does a disservice because some folks have seen this before i'm not going to check this movie out so there's got to be some way to 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 market it be creative marketing it and have folks not think it's just another conjuring fl flick yes no, I go ahead yeah no just i agree with the marketing mm -hmm. they just have to figure out we talked about this before and i mentioned before like Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. All they did was have uh, they showed the woods, and you have this lake. And all of a sudden, the, the chainsaw slowly comes up the water, and basically, I mean, the the audience exploded, and they were ready to see Part Two just off of that. So, so, so you know, the old way of doing it, where you you know you spice, you taking out. Uh, scene from the movie putting it together a certain way and you have that little voice you know that same voice that kind of like that monotone voice kind of do this you know it does this little you know it says you know whatever spill they want to put in there i don't know they just have to figure out a different way without spoiling the movie and just 
Because I, I think a lot of people by now know who James Wan is. As soon as you say Conjuring and, you know, he did Aquaman, you know, um, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, 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 what you call it? Um, uh, Fast and Furious Part 7, uh, Death Sentence, Death, Dead Silence. As soon as, it's, I mean, if you saw all those films and you liked them, pretty much, I mean, why do you need all these scenes from the movie to get the person, that person is pretty much, they just have to find a different way uh, a marketing. They have to be more creative. So that's just my take on it. That exposes, and there's a huge opportunity for, for somebody or some firm or some group that knows how to edit, to put things together, to make trailers, to just hit Hollywood and say, look, we're going to be the firm for making trailers in, in such a way that piques the interest of the audience while not revealing too much. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, the folks who greenlight the movies are just interested in getting their money back, getting their return and a profit off of it. And they don't realize that by doing that, you're going to make some people desensitized to going to the movies. Like, wait a second, you know, um, every time I see a trailer, it's the exact same thing from the movie. Or if I see a trailer that's a comedy, it's, all the jokes are in the commercial. I mean, it, there's a way to do it. Again, I'm not the person, but I'm sure somebody does know how to do this. And they're going to make a killing going to Hollywood saying, I can market your movie in this way. And maybe even at, at less of a cost, because I've we've been over this before. Um, I told you that 10, 15 second clip of The Shining, the promo from that when it first came out. Boom. That was it. Blood coming out the elevators. What else do you want? The Shining. I mean, that, that's so there are ways to do it. You can you can avoid doing a 30 second TV ad or a two and a half minute, you know, trailer in the movies. We just do it that's shortened uh, to the point. This is the genre of the movie. Uh, and there's something about it that, that tells you you're in for a, something that's an interesting experience that could do it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they would love to, Hollywood would love to um, have someone do that at, at a reduced cost. Cause you talked about 10, 15 seconds of a clip versus a 30 second clip or in the movie theater, making it a 30-second um, trailer in the movie theater, right? So instead of two and a half minutes. So it can be done. It should be done. We have shortened attention spans anyway, so you might as well find a way to do it, cut the crap, and give us just a teaser. And, and um, I don't know if you guys remember a movie called Dark Man. I remember how that was marketed. Yes. Right? And all it was was movie posters. Like, they'll put, like, a... a, a MBTA, a bus could come by, right? And on the side, you have a poster, the movie poster, and then say, who is Dark Man? Yep. You'll see, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if you remember how that was marketed. And it's like, and it got you thinking, who the hell is Dark Man? And it's like, then they attached Sam, Sam Rami's name to it, which you saw, Evil Dead 1, 2, whatever, right? right. And I think, I think this came after, I can't remember if it came before or after Spider-Man. It's before Spider-Man. Okay. So, yes, so. Before Spider-Man. This is, this is the, the 90s. And Spider-Man right. was in 2002, I think. You okay. Know, the towers came down. So whatever movies he, you know, has done by then, you know, you're familiar with Sam Rami. And not only that, right? Um, um, Dawn of the Dead, the, the, the uh, remake. I like how they did that. They On Channel 25, they showed you the first, like, 10 minutes of the movie for free you know stuff like that you could do stuff like that yeah you know to to uh oppose to 
um, how they're doing it now. They, they're, reveal, they're revealing all the secrets of the movie in the trailer. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or they're misrepresenting the film in the trailer. You know, the goal should be just to peak interest, right? Just, just peak interest. You don't have to tell anything. Right. Yeah, they released the first 10 minutes of Tenet in the theaters when I saw um, The Last Skywalker. And then you also saw, instead of a trailer for Wonder Woman, you saw that whole, not the whole mall scene, but you saw um, a bit of that scene to let you know that Wonder Woman's back and it's going to be really, really good. Not. But um, yeah, stuff like that is pretty cool to see. Yeah, I am. I am all for a more inventive uh, marketing for more uh, a, for movies or or some or some uh, like ad agency that's willing to do something different rather than uh, you know either trailers that give away way too much of the story or trailers that completely mis, uh, mislead the expectation and lead to bad expectations for the uh, for the film. Um, yeah, you went through a lot of good examples. I'd also say most uh, recent one was uh, it. Uh, from uh, the first one, uh, they had at one of at whatever uh, film festival they premiered it at. They had uh, people in rain, those yellow raincoats, you know, uh, standing around with the red balloons uh, and uh, sort of uh, uh, populating the area. In order, to, and uh, they wouldn't say anything; they would just stand there like uh, living statues, and uh, and that that provided sort of uh, iconography for the uh, for the movie because you know the. Uh, uh, because you know, uh, you know, uh, Georgie's uh, the prologue uh, with uh, Georgie in the rain, but um, yeah, I'm all for sort of a marketing from taking more risks, or well, not even risks, just be more more inventive, like uh, like we've said, uh, the little te- instead of uh, you know two minute long trailers, just teasers uh, or something that uh, that provides uh, not sort of uh, the gist of the story, but the gist of the feeling that you'll get. From uh, from going to going to watch this, um, so yeah, I'm I'm completely on board with all those with this, uh, someone coming along and yeah, coming uh, and doing away with these uh, you know uh, these trailers that uh, give away all the best scenes uh, because then why buy a ticket for it? Uh, then you've already provided all the uh, all the best scenes for free. So it's pregnant with possibilities, like just waiting for somebody to come in and, and, and cash in off this. Somebody who's got the expertise in, in editing and, and pulling this stuff together. Um, even if I had the, the skill to do that, I, I wouldn't do it only because I enjoy movies so much. I'd be watching all the movies first and then <laughs> providing the trailers for them. It's just, it's, it's just reverse for me. Um, I, I'd have all movies spoiled for me. But yeah, the, it's it's pregnant with possibilities. Somebody can and should be able to to, to, to do that. And marketing is not just trailers, right? As you mentioned, the, the whole, you know, um, raincoats and, and balloons or, you know, the signs on the side of, of, of buses or park benches or, or billboards. And it's like all kinds of things you can do that are creative ways to, to promote, but just not doing it for some reason. I don't I remember how they used to do it too, where you have clips of people who already saw the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, and they getting their testimony and how excited. I was like, oh my God, I saw this and I nearly passed out. And then you have like stories of, um, I remember when The Fly came out, the remake, the David, the, the, the Cronenberg film, where you get stories of people passing out in the movie theater and they had, you know, they had to go to the ER and all that kind of stuff. You know, and all that stuff was creative stuff that we don't do anymore. 
or, or this is banned in, you know, so many countries. And so, yeah, they stopped doing, they stopped all that kind of marketing. And right now they're just doing that. Rele- they're relegated now to just taking clips from the film and spoil it for people basically. Yeah. Another aspect uh, to uh, sort of going off of the, uh, the marketing thing. Uh, I, I actually really like the poster for this. Um, the poster is sort of, it, it's, uh, it's dark red and uh, on black with, uh, you know, uh, Madison's uh, face uh, sort of uh, uh, half there lie, lying down uh, to the side. And then you have uh, malignant uh, in the, uh, either one of the letters is uh, spiking into her like, uh, uh, mm-hmm. like the main rep, right. Right, the T, okay, yeah, the T is spiking into her, like, uh, so it's reminiscent of uh, Italian horror movies, uh, especially uh, Suspiria, with uh, how they used to uh, do posters for them. Um, but uh, I wouldn't say this is reminiscent of a uh, Giallo uh, movie or Italian horror. I'd say this is much more reminiscent, some, and uh, Kenyatta pointed out, uh, Fly, David Cronenberg, broad body horror, uh, much more 80s body horror than anything else. So maybe one way to market the movie would be, uh, however, they were able to, yeah, the, the same ways, uh, you know, uh, getting audience testimonies uh, of, uh, of what they thought, you know, spoiler free, of course, but just uh, well, what they, uh, uh, what they saw. Uh, but uh, um, I just have to um, agree with you. The, the poster is pretty good for this movie. So I agree with you on that. Yeah, notice how all his posters kind of look similar. Like it's I was the just same, it's the same bad Photoshop, like with yeah. all the character heads all together. You know, with uh, you know, it's uh, they're trying to do, uh, trying to make it all look like the Star Wars posters with all the main cast like uh, in the foreground or the, the foreground, and then the background you have the Empire or the whatever you know new Death Star is, and it's the same thing with all the Marvel movies. It's a it's all the principal cast in front, and then. Um, with the villains in back and then uh, maybe a few Easter eggs somewhere on the poster too. Like, yeah, uh, yeah that's why I also really, yeah, I really appreciated the poster for Malignant. I think it's a very, you know, it harkens to old horror, uh, especially Italian horror, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, just, it just goes to see the just inventive ways to, to market the movie, you know, get the uh, fans of, of Giallo movies uh, in, even though, it's not really a giallo. It's not really an homage to those movies, but you know, if it piques, if it piques their interest, uh, you never know what uh, they might think about it. And the T that, that that's potentially going to you know stab her in the eye or the face, whatever it is, could be a a, a dagger, or it could be kind of playing on um, Juan's history of making these kind of movies. It could be a cross, right? Because he's got the the whole um, conjuring verse with religion tying in there too. So it, it, it's it's kind of um ambiguous in that way you don't know if it's a, it's a cross is, is it a dagger what's going on there maybe they should just should have released the poster as <laughs> the only it's the only thing you're going to get from this and then if it piques your interest good if it not uh yeah you can watch out for the next you know uh, uh the next movie yeah mm-hmm. other than hbo max how did you find out about this movie or other movies for that matter just because like we haven't been going into the movies for a while. So, like, how do you come across your trailers and posters? I came across Malignant because, um, because you know, HBO Max, um, they released a trailer. Like, I just found out, I, like, I, I think it was two weeks 
before it actually came out. And you know how, like, sometimes, I don't know if other people do this, but you look at the movies that are going to come out on certain, like, platforms, like Netflix, so it's coming out in October. So then I saw Malignant, I didn't know what it was. And then when I saw the post and I saw James Wan's name, and I, and I think that was, like I said, I wanted to see it as soon as I saw his name, I saw the poster. This is before I even seen the trailer. So that's how I found out about it. Yeah, and I look at, uh, I go on the IMDb website and look at the, the release calendar because I, I, I want to avoid trailers as much as possible and I'll see what's coming out each week and I'll click on the link to each movie and I can um, pause it before the trailer comes on. I can just see you know, the genre of movie, maybe who the director is and kind of leave it at that. Um, but then if I at the movies, obviously I'll have to sit there trying to avoid trailers. I'm the idiot you see closing his eyes and has his fingers uh, in his ears, uh, trying to avoid hearing anything. Um, but I, I usually check out the release calendar or IMDb and get a, a rundown of what's happening in the next several months. It's um, the release schedule for movies in a theater or I guess streaming uh, movies are on there too now. But as far as um, the smaller things that are on streaming services that are not put on IMDb, I, I'm, I'm always kind of clueless as to those things. And I hate when they have multiple trailers, like you have trailer one, two, three. To me, if if you if, if trailer one didn't get you, it's like, okay, about time two and three, it's like <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like you need that much convincing. I don't I don't know. That's just right. Because there's no way trailers it's more revelatory, right? Each one gives gives you more information. It's like stop it, stop doing right. that. Right. Well, no, I think one is just supposed to be like the teaser, so you automatically get the teaser like the first, what, 10, 15 seconds of it? Sometimes you get a minute teaser, but like it shouldn't take that long just to sit there and get you into the movie. Like you should be already into it within like the first 10, 15 seconds of the tra um, teaser. But then you have the theatrical release trailer where they're trying to get you to go to the theaters. But then afterwards, you have the um, you do have two and three theatrical trailers, but then Sometimes that's also like the VHS release, not VHS. Uh, uh, well, not VHS, but you know what I'm saying, like the DVD Blu-ray. Oh, not even just DVD Blu-ray, but like the actual release of the product that this is now in stores. But even then, sometimes if the movie didn't do too well, they just cut it short to saying, "Hey, they just show you the one scene from the movie." It's just say, "Hey, now this DVD or this thing is now out on your streaming services, like your network tour and Blu-ray and DVD somewhere else." I don't even think I see DVD commercials anymore, Blu-ray commercials anymore. No, like, you I don't. I think if you just really love the movie, like you would just go out and like, you know what? I'm getting this on Blu-ray. Yeah, but no, that's what they've been doing. They, they'll have trailer one, two, and three, and each one is two minutes long. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, it's, and it's like, if you're thinking one trailer is revealing too much, imagine two more trailers after that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's just too much. Yeah. I don't know, like I just I'm finding it harder and harder to come across trailers and like um the only time I ever get notifications from trailers is like IMDB sometimes would give me a trailer for somebody. And if I recognize like the star's name, because like I think that's like right next to the trailer, like I'll click on it and watch it. But other than that, like I would ignore the notification. But then sometimes YouTube will send me trailers from Marvel and DC and I would automatically just go to that. Sometimes it'd be a real actual trailer and I'd be super duper excited about it. Other times it'd just be a fake fan trailer and I'd be like, ah. 
but yeah, like I'm just, I feel like I'm finding it harder and harder. Just like if you do go on Netflix, you do see a trailer, but that's like right after the end of the credits of watching or, your movie yeah. or your show. I was just going to say, um, oh, yeah, it automatically plays when you're just like you're trying to scroll through to something. It just automatically pops up. It's just like that's that's one of the most annoying things about streaming now. <laughs> yeah, I know like they just. Got- I know. I thought. I think they just released a, a setting where you can stop autoplay. I think they just just did that. I or a few months ago or something like that because that was really annoying. <laughs> and it would just start playing uh, right when you're just trying to scroll to get something else. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it works. Like I was fascinated by this show that came on Hulu, and I like I put it as soon as I saw the trailer for who was in it. I was like, okay, I'm gonna put that in the queue. Gonna wait about ten weeks till I watch that. But yeah, like I just feel like it's just a little bit harder for some independent um, films that come out there that come out in the theater, whatever. You rarely see trailers like that now unless you're like part of um film groups on Facebook or you follow somebody on their Instagram and it just shows up. Same thing with Twitter. Yeah. And you know, the environment is now, you know, completely different, you know, of how to market movies, uh, especially uh, what we're going through right now uh, where, yeah, you, you know, you used to just uh, get the, uh, get the trailer, get the teasers in front of the movie that you were watching. But of course now that's a, it's a little bit uh, hard to do with going, going to an actual theater. So um yeah, the, a lot of uh, movies have to figure out new marketing strategies. Maybe that'll, that'll lead to more inventive sort of uh, sort of means of uh, getting uh, getting the word out about your work. Uh, but you know, uh, all the way, you know, uh, with the Blair Witch Project, you know, uh, going on uh, twenty years ago, uh, when the first viral, highly successful viral marketing campaigns, uh, and there really wasn't much else beyond that uh, to promote the movie. But uh, maybe that's that's going to come back, uh, sort of uh, in uh, in some way or shape or form, because with more of these movies either going straight to streaming or same day streaming with theatrical release, uh, you have to find the ways to uh, to promote it. You have to find a way to get more eyeballs on uh, annoying the release date of them uh, of it. A question um, with that. With all that said, right. What's next? What's the next um, premiere release for HBO Max? Is it Dune or is it something else before that? Uh, well, this week it's uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, Cry Macho, uh, Eastwood's yeah. latest. <laughs> I, actually, I actually saw that Friday. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. Clint Eastwood, I, I just like his movies. I mean, it was all right. I mean, watching <laughs> watch it with your girlfriend, you know what I'm saying? Uh, watch it with your boomer dad. Yep. That's- yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so um, you know, they, I think he did it better with Grand Torino, but you know, gotcha. this is, it's, a, it's like a cowboy version of Grand Torino, but right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, uh, HBO... Like, uh, I mean, there's the, there's the thing, the, the scroll bar, the scroll bar, when you, uh, get in the homepage of what's, you know, next week, uh, the same day theatrical release. Uh, but other than that, yeah, they don't really have like, uh, promotional material beyond that to really help out at least, uh, they're streaming, but, uh, yeah, cause it's because something it, come out in October. I just can't remember what it was. Right. Because it is, oh, But anyway, do we want to wrap up uh, Malignant? Yeah, sure. Okay. 
So yeah, does anyone, yeah, we can start wrapping up on uh, malignant. Does anyone want to start us off there? Yeah, I'll just say that uh, I appreciated the original kind of premise uh, for the movie. Um, it, it does, um, of course, dive deeply into the the camp, camp and campy territory. Um, third act can be um, pleasurable if you can put a few things aside and just say, you know what, I'm gonna go along for the ride. Um, again, I saw this at home on HBO Max and not in the theater. Part of me thinks I'd be a little bit upset if I paid the money to go see it in the theater, um, but it's a nice little escape. Uh, it was a bit of unexpected uh, James Wan horror to pop up this this fall. I, I didn't think it was coming, coming. I, I had no clue it was coming, um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a nice bit of escapism, um, but, but it's not, uh, I don't know if I had to rank it like one to 10. I don't, I don't know what it'd be, but um, yeah, just, just let go of all logic and watch it. <laughs> you know something? I think you should watch it a second time uh, before you rank it. And um, also, like I said, uh, the second viewing, you might catch, you know, things like there was certain line, like that line I, I, I thought was hilarious the second time because the first time I think because I have enough information to know, you know, to know that line was funny. I'm, I'm curious, like I'm going to check out like the music, like you said, there was music. So there are things I probably missed the first time around. So I'll watch it a second time before I even rank it. And um, just in terms of movie recommendations, kind of like in the spirit of Malignant, uh, we did talk about 80s horrors and stuff like that. Um, and I did mention this earlier, but a movie called Basket Case. Now that's a, this is on the outside, this is completely campy and the special effects, of course, are gonna be as low budget, who's gonna be left you know, to be desired because you know they didn't have you know, the technology we have now for special effects. So imagine this was 80 on a low budget. But um, you know, if if you if you're if you're curious if you did like this film and you're curious, you can, I think I think you you may find some entertainment out of a movie called Basket Case that came out like in the 80s. And also I would say Stranger Things. You know, new season won't be out to 2022, but if you haven't checked that out, um, I think, you know, it's in a spirit somewhat, you know, what malignant. And one last movie I would recommend by James Wan is, is, is Death Sentence. Death Sentence is not a reboot or a remake of Death Wish. What it is is based on, because Death Wish was based on a, on a novel. In the novel, there was a series, uh, and, and you know, based on that character, and, and Death Sentence was one of those novels. And it wasn't Death Wish. It was starring Kevin Bacon, and I think it's an underrated film, uh, especially if you're a father. I think I, it affected me so much because I'm a father, and um, you know, and, and, and I, I think it's an underrated film. So, it, it, and I noticed too, it's kind of hard to to uh, find for some reason. But anyways, uh, so death, uh, death sentence. So yeah, that's 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 my conclusion. So for uh, 
movie recommendations uh yeah we we went through it uh sort of uh we mentioned uh the fly sort of the david cronenberg's uh sort of 80s stuff with especially with body horror um but i would recommend uh uh, a one for all the way from the uh, 70s uh, by another uh, sort of uh, by another auteur filmmaker, Brian De Palma, Sisters, uh, with uh, Margot Kidder and uh, Jennifer Salt, uh, which is very much sort of in the same sort of same vein as Malignant. Uh, you got uh, the um, you got murderers go- murders going around with a falsely accused woman, and she has to figure things out. Uh, or figure out what exactly is going on. And the twist is uh, uh, probably just as twist. Well, may I will say just as twisty as they, but uh, this, there's sort of the same sort of a camp factor going on. Um, but, uh, and uh, also the only uh, sort of connection, connective tissue with uh, this next one is that it's also on HBO Max, but it is a horror movie uh, in some ways. Uh, it's um, in the same breath. Um, it debuted on HBO Max a few weeks ago, or last month, I should say, and it uh, documents sort of the beginnings of uh, COVID pandemic from Wuhan all the way to uh, the U.S.'s response, and uh, it gets testimonials from uh, the medical world and uh, uh, the patients treated there, and uh, reveals exactly the extent of it, so uh, I have... I think I know why HBO isn't really promoting it uh, too much, but uh, uh, because it's highly critical of uh, the Chinese government and uh, our own government, uh, but uh, definitely something to check out if you're, um, if you're willing to see how this, uh, how we're living right now all got started and how it all got messed up in the beginning. But in terms of um, uh, Malignant and James Wan's career, uh, again, I'm not, uh, I'm not a fan of all of his work. Uh, I think uh, he's a very talented filmmaker. It's interesting. I recently, uh, just last night, we watched Saw, uh, the uncut version. And it's interesting to see where he came from and where he is now. You know, he's taking the helm of billion-dollar franchises with this, you know, grungy sort of uh, really uh, bare-bones independent uh, horror movie. Uh, No, the worst name of the movie before you... You talk about saw you said um they were talking about the Wuhan, you know oh um, from the, the, the yeah uh, in the same breath it's uh, it's also on hbo max and it was oh released, in the same breath that's the, in the name same breath it's the name oh, of the, okay. yeah, it's the name of the movie yeah oh, okay. it, was, it was released uh a month ago like on hbo max and it wasn't really promoted uh, that much i have suspicions of why it wasn't really uh that well promoted but it's it is it's a great documentary on uh on thing and it is it's a horror movie basically about uh how uh, how governments treat their uh, their constituents and their people that are supposed to be serving, but anyway, uh, the, yeah, it's interesting to see sort of James Wan's career sort of develop. Uh, you know, um, uh, Aquaman is at least colorful. I'll give it that. <laughs> There's uh, um, it's it's uh, much more than the other sort of uh, DCU movies, but uh, you know, he's a talented filmmaker, and I think this is one of my favorites of his. Uh, but I think Think Conjuring is still up there. Uh, it's much more cohesive and much more uh, – it gets under your skin a little bit more because of uh, sort of the filmmaking techniques that he, he has in the story. But he's, of course, this is a very different type of movie. It's going more for the camp factor. You know what? Uh, movies that I have fun with, you know, I really I, – uh, 
I, I'll just, I'll always try to um, try to recommend the movies that I have fun with at least, uh, you know, whether or not they're consistent all the way through in terms of plot or uh, sort of uh, uh, mechanisms going on, uh, you know, that's uh, how much that matters to you. I think will vary viewer to viewer, but uh, here I'm willing to forgive a lot because again, I had fun with it. So uh, yeah, I'll, I think that's, uh, that'll, that's why that's, that, that's my word. <laughs> I, I liked it. Like I said, I thought it was a great movie, minor, minus a few things here and there. Um, I like the whole who done it type of um, theme that comes with these movies. I think it's great just because like it, it allows you to get more involved in like you're trying to figure out the story also just by putting the pieces together. So it's kind of like you're right there in the room with him. Um, I did like the gore. I thought that was cool how he kind of like finally saved that all to the end. Um because that's the one thing I complain about. It's the one thing I do like about horror movies is gore in the right places rather than just having it everywhere. Um, but yeah, as far as movie recommendations go, it kind of like, um, like we mentioned earlier, had a um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 vibe to it. Like I like, um, kind, I like how they kind of sort of use that same um, conception that they use for Gabriel and um, Madison. What else? Um, another recommendation I would have for um, movies is um, House on Haunted Hill. Like the, um, actually, I would say maybe all three movies: the um, original with Vincent Price, uh, the reboot, and then the sequel as well. The sequel is just super intense. And then um, another one would be um, Sleepy Hollow, just because I also think that's like a great example of. Um, like being involved in the mystery, especially when nobody believes what, oh, not nobody, um, the one person who's the star in a movie doesn't believe that everything is going on when everyone's sitting there trying to tell them this is what's actually happening, only to find out this is happening and why, which is really, really cool. But um, like I said, I just like the whole, just like the style of just trying to figure out who did it, trying to just put all the pieces together just so I can figure out the movie before it's over, I kind of consider that to be a challenge. As always, thank you for queuing us up in your daily playlists. We had a lively discussion on this strange but fun horror campy feature. Right in time for the haunting season, we'll be discussing the remake of the 1992 supernatural slasher Candyman in our next podcast. We also have a poll available on Spotify where you can choose which visceral horror movie from the 70s and 80s you'd like us to discuss in a future October episode. You can also let us know what movies also had make or break twists for you. Feel free to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and other platforms. You can support this podcast and the Screenwriters Group with a monthly donation by clicking the support button at anchor.fm. You can join Kenyatta and I at our virtual Screenwriters Forums by RSVPing either on meetup.com and or Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our forum recordings and other videos. Links are in the description. We wish you all the best in your writing and other life's pursuits. Get vaxxed, stay masked, and be safe out there. Mm-hmm.